Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So we are in week two of our series. We started last week called You Ask For It, and we do this about every summer for a few weeks where a few weeks out, we'll just ask for, for you guys to ask some questions that you have about faith, about the Bible, about life, about relationships, about anything, any topic. No topic is off limits. No question is too big or too small. Uh, and we're going to try to tackle it as best we can uh, to see what the Bible says about uh, certain topics or issues uh, that you care about. So this week, we're going to look at two questions, and they are connected. That's why we're going to look at these two specifically this week. They both deal with the issue of salvation. Uh, different aspects of it, but still nonetheless, the core uh, crux of each question is dealing with salvation. Uh, and so the, the first one is a little bit more uh, nuanced, and the second one is a little bit more broad, uh, but we'll, we'll look at them both today. So the first of our two questions about salvation uh, is this, do you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? I lost my mask, it's okay. The question again is, do you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Now, that may be a term that you are familiar with. If so, great, you're ahead of the game. This might be a term that you're not familiar with. If not, we'll look at what that is briefly, very briefly. Uh, If you're interested in this idea of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, about two years ago last summer, we did like 14-week series on the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to know pretty much everything that I have ever known and learned about the Holy Spirit, I'd encourage you to go on our website and look at that. And there's, again, every from A to Z on the Holy Spirit, we covered it, including this topic specifically. So if this piques your interest, uh, check out firstcenturykc.com. Go back a couple of years worth of videos and you'll see uh, several weeks worth of material there. So this idea of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, let's read about the first time this event ever happened and then we'll kind of jump off from there um, about is it required basically to be saved. So Acts chapter 2 is where we see this uh, for, for the first time and it says this, Acts 2 verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Or other translations you might be more familiar with, they spoke in tongues. This is the big issue with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is why this issue has, is so like, you know, stay away, don't want to talk about it. It's kind of weird, kind of, because it is a weird thing. I mean, the things that are being described here in Acts 2 are weird. They are strange. They are abnormal. I would, I would even use the word supernatural in nature. But that's what, that's, this is how the church started. So Jesus, so look, we're going to answer three questions about this event to tie into this question. Do you, does this event have to happen to you for you to be eligible to get through the pearly gates? Okay, that's what we're talking about. So the three questions we're going to look at briefly are who, why, and what. So the first thing we want to look at here is who, who was at this event? 
Who does, who, who does it say was gathered? Let's go back to, to this verse again. I think I, yeah, there I have it again. So verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the who were meeting. All the believers were meeting. So I've already answered the question, right? They already believe. They already possessed faith. So when someone comes to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in them. They have saving faith. And that, as we'll talk about even in the second question in a few minutes, is that's it. That's all that's required is this saving faith, this belief in Jesus Christ to take your place on the cross for your sin, that substitutionary atonement for our sins. He paid the price we should have paid, and we don't have to. And he, he get, we get the reward that he already deserved, and we get that without earning it at all. So it's not required. So who? It's believers were gathered. The other question, though, is why? Why were they there in the first place? What, what was the purpose of this whole gathering together? Why were they there? And it's kind of like what, if you're a parent, you would tell your kids, because I said so. If we look in Acts chapter 1, we see why they were there in Acts 2 is because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told them to go and, and meet. And here's what he says, Acts 1 verse 4 It says, once when he, that's Jesus, was eating with them, his disciples, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's where that term comes from. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus talks about a gift. Let me ask the kids who are with us. I want to ask all of you a quick question. If I I could give you anything, one thing, you could have one gift, what would it be? Jackson, if you could have one thing, I'd give you one gift. Anything in the world, what would it be? I'll come back to you. Katie, if, you could have, if I could give you one gift, anything in the world, what would it be? Okay, I'll come back to you. Okay, <laughs> Mackenzie, so far this is going, going really well. Okay, Mackenzie, if I could give you any gift in the world, just one, one gift, but it could be anything, what would it be? What would you choose? Okay, I'll come back to you. Okay, Kennedy, are you ready? Okay, if I could give you any gift, one thing, anything in the world, what would it be? To go to heaven. To go to heaven. Well, I can't do that, so that's like the one thing that I can't do. Like a, let's think, okay, like a, a gift or a thing here. Okay, you got it? Okay, what is it? An iPad? Okay, is that what you said, iPad? Okay, so here's a second question, though. How long would you be willing to wait for that iPad? A month? That's pretty good. Okay. So this event we just read about in Acts chapter 2 that was promised in Acts chapter 1 is just kind of like that. So Jesus says in Acts 1, hey, I'm going to give you a really special gift, but I need you to go stay in Jerusalem, meet together, and you need to wait for it until it happens. And they don't know how long. Maybe it's going to be a month. Maybe it's going to be a year. They don't know. And so in Acts 2, there's about 120 believers who are gathered here in this one it's called the upper room is where they called it probably the same place where they had the last supper is what scholars would tell us probably the same the same room so they're crammed in here for about 10 days 
They're just praying and worshiping, praying and worshiping, waiting for 10 days until this event in Acts chapter 2 happens. So the believers are gathered because Jesus said so, but let's get to the real kind of impetus of this question. What is the real purpose of this event? What's the real purpose of this experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Is it so we can speak in tongues? That's not the point, right? That's the sign of the gift, but that's not the point of the gift. Is it to grow in holiness? That's not the purpose of the gift. That's not what Jesus says. Is it to have a spiritual experience that's amazing and wonderful? That's not the point of this event. Is it to be saved? Obviously not. We already know that the believers were here already heaven-bound, already sealed in their faith before this event happened. It was a secondary gift, a secondary work. So we know that the purpose, as Jesus says in Acts 1 verse 8, the purpose of this event is to be empowered to be a witness to be empowered so it's not that this gift gets us uh, to heaven right it's that it keeps us ready for living here on earth that's the point of the baptism in the holy spirit that's the point of really any spiritual gift it's not to make us more spiritual it's not to add to our list of oh i've got these seven spiritual gifts look at me you know wow it's not about getting more you know gold stars here it's not it's not what it is It's not even about the experience itself. It's about the power that comes from the Holy Spirit through this event. So, do you have to have this to be saved? No, but maybe you need it to stay saved. Might be, you know, I saw a funny thing this week on, I've seen it all over Facebook. It's, you know, the question is, do I need to have the Holy Spirit to get to heaven? The answer is no, but you probably need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. You know, it's kind of like, that's, it's a joke, but it's true. Not because Walmart's just a really weird place and even more weird now. Uh, but it's like, you, we don't need the Holy Spirit to get to heaven. We probably need it more so to live here on earth. So that answers that first question. It's not required for salvation, uh, but it's not only is it a wonderful experience, uh, it, grows, it grows us in our faith, but it, it kind of empowers us to be a better witness. The second question here, in the same vein of, of salvation, is a good one, and it's this. Can a person who has heard the word live a sinful life and ask for forgiveness on their deathbed and still receive forgiveness and grace. Can a person who has heard the word or the gospel or the truth or the Bible, can they live a sinful life after that and ask for forgiveness on their deathbed and still receive forgiveness and grace? The answer to that question is yes. You're dismissed. We're, we're done here. Let me just take a couple minutes and, exp- and explore this question. I'm going to need some help. So I'm going to need my wife and two lovely kids to come help me real quick. You're going to help me tell a story. I didn't tell you ahead of time so you couldn't, you know, agonize over it or tell me no because I'm just, you know, not giving you the option, Jackson. Uh, so I'm going to have you guys just stand right here. Right here. Yep. And just in, kind of in a row. So Jackson, come scoop a little bit. And then, yeah, Kim, you can go behind him. And Kennedy, okay, so you're third. So there's a story Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20 that we're going to illustrate here for a minute. And the story is there was a, a man who owned a vineyard. That's me. He goes out and he hires workers to work in this vineyard. He says he goes out at 9 a.m., first thing in the morning, and says, hey, you look like you need a job. I'm going to hire you to work in my vineyard. So come on over here. I'm going to hire you at 9 a.m. to work. So go start working. You know what to do in a vineyard? It doesn't matter. He's, so he's now working in the vineyard at 9, 9 a.m. So now it's noon, and I've, I'm seeing there's a lot of work. He needs some help. He's getting worn out. He's getting tired. He needs some help. So at noon, I go back out to the unemployment line, and I say, hey, ma'am, you look like you could use a job. Could you use a job? 
I've got a job for you. You can come work in my vineyard. Would you like to do that? Yeah. Okay, so now at noon, I'm going to hire this wonderful, lovely lady to work in the vineyard with this strong, snapping, strapping young man. Now they're both working in the vineyard. He was hired at 9, she was hired at noon. Now it says at 5 in the evening, I, we got like one hour of daylight left, a lot of work left to be done. These two need more help. And so the owner of the vineyard goes out and says, hey, little girl, we don't have you know, laws about children working at this time and place in, the, in this universe, okay? So would you like a job to earn money? Awesome, so you can buy whatever it is that the gift you would want. You don't know what it is yet? Okay, so I would like to offer you a job working in my vineyard. Would you like to do that? Okay, so now she is going to come over here, and she's going to work with these other two. Again, he's been working since 9 a.m. She's been working since noon. She started working at 5. We close at 6. So now it's closing time. The bell rings. The whistle rings. Woo, you know, work is over. Guess what happens after you work? You get paid. You get paid. Okay, okay, sir, come on over here. Come on over here, sir. I want to go ahead and just pay. I'm going to pay you for all your work all day long. There you go. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, you can keep that. Have a seat. Now, who is next? You were, you were okay, you were hired at noon. So I'm going to pay you the same I paid him for working less hours. Good, good job on you. Okay, now, little lady, you only worked one hour. She worked half a day. He worked all day. But guess what? I'm going to pay you the same exact amount I paid them. Does that sound good? You're welcome. Okay, go have a seat. Thank you, guys. Easiest money they've ever made. So Jesus tells this story, and the point of a story of any parable he tells, he begins it by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Then he tells the story. So what he says here is that God's kingdom works the same way. Now, the, the, at the end of the story, we're thinking, well, is that fair of the owner of the vineyard to do that? Poor Jackson, he worked from 9 to 6, and he got paid the same as Kim, who worked from 12 to 6, and they got paid the same as Kennedy, that worked from 5 to 6. That seems entirely unfair. But Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So what he's saying here is, some people are going to be Christians for a long time. So I became a Christian when I was six years old. I just turned 34. So for 28 of my years on this earth, I have been a follower of Jesus. Okay? And then you can add that on one year until I'm, until I'm dead, right? So for a long, I'm going to have a, I'm going to be like Jackson more than likely. I'm going to have a long track record of serving Jesus. However, there are people who have rejected Jesus for their entire life, and at the very end, their dying breath, they, they put faith in him. Guess what? We get the same reward. I get the same reward as this 98-year-old person who rejected Jesus over and over and over. They heard the truth, they knew the truth, they heard the word, they heard the scripture, yet they chose to reject it. They chose to not put faith in it. Guess what? We're going to the same heaven I don't, I mean, I don't know how this works, but I don't think there's going to be like, you know, a really ritzy part of town where people like me are going to go, that I've served Christ almost my entire life, and then there's going to be like a little, you know, this guy's going to be living on the streets in heaven. It's going to be great. He's going to make it, but just barely. I don't think that's how that, that's not what Jesus says here. If we put faith in Christ, we've done the work in the vineyard, we get paid the same, we get the same reward. doesn't seem quite fair, but that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So the question, though, is why? Why does God work that way? How is that fair? Can you please explain to me, Stephen, how in the world God would work that way, why he would choose to do it that way? 
We read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We have a definition of salvation. Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul says it's fair because salvation is a gift. Just like the Holy Spirit was given, salvation is the first initial gift spiritually that can be given to any human being, this gift of salvation. And he says it's not just any gift, but it's a gift of grace, which by definition means it is unearnable. I can't work at it to earn it. it is, I, it's a gift. You don't earn gifts. You're given them freely. Or that's how it's supposed to be. That's how God does it. So it doesn't matter how long I serve Jesus or how many years or how many good deeds I do or how much faith I have. My salvation is, always has been, always will be a simple gift of grace. And it comes through faith. So again, it's not, he says it's not by works. It's not about what I can do to earn salvation because that's not how it works. It's a gift that is freely given. So the idea here is that works don't lead to faith. Faith leads to works. Okay, And that's when you read James and he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. That's what he's saying. James and Paul aren't arguing with each other. They're saying the same thing in a different way. Paul's saying you receive the gift of faith through grace, okay? You receive it. It's a gift, salvation. And then James would say, and then from that new life that you've been given, then you do those good works, right? Then you live out your faith in that way. So again, faith doesn't come by works, but works are a result of our faith. So I can't earn anything from God. I can't earn salvation. I can't earn anything like that at all. Okay, so that's why it's, it is fair, because no one deserves salvation. No one, nobody, zero people earn it ever for any reason. It's not works-based, it's faith-based. Now, before, before we finish, though, I want to close with two thoughts about this, because here's the deal. There's also this phrase, work smarter, not harder, okay? And so we're tempted sometimes spiritually to think this way. Well, if you're saying, I can kind of do whatever I want until the very end and still get in, why would I not do that? Why would I choose to live under these rules that God gives and do the things that God says with all of my life if I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, for as long as I want until the very end? Well, there's two, two things I would say uh, sort of uh, against that mindset. And again, we see this here in Ephesians. This is chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 15 through 17. Paul writes this. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So, Two thoughts from this scripture here about this idea of sort of cheating the system, if you will. Here's the thing. If you've heard the word, if you've heard the gospel, if you've heard the truth, why would you waste your life on yourself when you can live this life that Paul's describing? You can live God, like God can lead you through life in his wisdom. Like you can understand what the Lord's will is like for from now till the end of your life, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So often we waste so much of our life figuring out what is this purpose, what is the plan, what's the point. 
And meanwhile, it's like, no, we can do that right now. We can live in all of the wisdom of God. We can know and understand and live out God's will. Why would I forfeit years of my life living things living life the way I want to when I can have it the way God wants, when I can live in, in under his wisdom and authority and instruction and protection, okay? So it's forfeiting so many blessings because, let me say this, God's will is better than your plan, okay? You've got things figured out. It can crumble and fall in a moment. And if the last four to five months haven't been proof of that, I don't know what will prove that right? You can plan anything you want, and you can have all your ducks in a row, and any number of things can destroy those plans. But God's will cannot be destroyed. God's will is supreme. It is eternal. It is set in stone. So what he has planned that we don't always know, that's the hard part, right? But it's always, his will and his wisdom are always better than our plans. Our plans are short-term, and they are easily destroyed, but his plan is eternal and it will never be destroyed. So why would I forfeit that just so at the end I can do what I want and still get in? That doesn't seem like a great trade-off here. Here's the other thing as we close with this question, and this is a big one. We're not guaranteed a deathbed experience. None of us are. Like, you, we don't know... <sighs> Here's wood. We don't know if we're going to make it home, right? We just don't know. This is not a scare tactic. This is not a, you know, scare out of hell free card like in Bibleopoly or whatever, okay? This is not what this is. This is just the fact, okay? James, who we've already talked about, says your life is but a vapor. It's here one moment and then it's gone. Again, we can make all the plans. I have a 40-year life plan. Well, good for you, but what if you only make it to 26 years of those 40 years, and you're planning at the end of year 40, then I'll get right with God. Because we think, i got plenty of time. And I would say, define plenty of time for me. What does that mean? How many years? And how can you be so sure you're going to see though, that many years? So it's, to me, it's just not worth the risk. Oh, I'm going to wait till the very end of my life. When is that going to be? How do we know? So first of all, we waste our lives on ourselves if we choose to reject Jesus. And then we're risking being apart from him for all eternity by doing that as well. We're rolling the dice on sort of a risky endeavor here by saying, well, I've got plenty of time. Oh, when that day comes and I'm, you know, my last breath, then I'll make it right. Then I'll give in and then I'll commit to him. We're not guaranteed that. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't risk I wouldn't risk that long-term plan when there's no guarantee of that happening. Again, it's not a scare tactic. It's not about feeling insecure. It's about being secure now. It's about assurance now that I can live life, again, in all of God's wisdom and all of God's leading and protection and guidance and with, through his spirit now, and I have assurance of life with him forever yet to come. That's great. Sign me up like right now. The dotted line, I'm putting the X there. Here we go. So that's, that's the beauty of what God offers with this gift of salvation. We don't have to wait because we can't earn it, don't deserve it. We can't do enough things to get there. And so why, let's just do it now. Let's just commit to him now. So again, salvation is a gift. The Holy Spirit's a gift. These are great gifts, and they're unearned. They're freely given. And as we walk in them, as we live them out, we can see the wonderful spiritual benefits and other areas of our the very practical benefits of living this life of faith through this wonderful gift of salvation.